Wednesdays. This is our podcast. Now we've decided it is every other week, every other Thursday night slash Friday morning mm-hmm. it comes out. And we talk about politics, current affairs, um, religion, usually Christianity, culture, and uh, our media stinkers and thinkers of the week. And that's what we're here to talk about. Um, we this week are diving into President Biden's first year. Last Wednesday, I think it was, he gave mm, a speech yeah. kind of assessing his first year, a very long speech covering a lot of things. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, News Pundit said he did it to kind of, you know, reclaim his first year, um, set the record straight on all the... <laughs> the good trajectory he's got going. Um, I don't think that that is quite how it was received, but, you know, we're in our own. Yeah, I don't think many people watched it. Um, Yep. There are, everyone's doing a Biden one year In our world, everyone is. Yeah, quote everyone. (laughs) Dozens of people. (laughs) Yeah, all the people we're listening to. So we're going to do one too. (laughs) (laughs) Um. So I thought we'd start um, and I would talk a little bit. I was curious about in context, what are presidents first years normally like? So um, it's very good. Context is important. It is. And it's, you know, it's funny that history kind of repeats itself. Um, There are a lot of patterns in first years. And I was actually (laughs) working in Congress during President Trump's first year. So I kind of. Um, for the first and only time in my life, had a front row seat to a president's first year. Um, and I will say, you know, the it, there were two big disappointments for... You know, what happens is presidents campaign on these big promises, right? Yep. They have to, <laughs> to, to yep. win, right? And so they make these big promises. And I think in President Trump's mind, he thought that they were achievable and he was just going to come in and do it. He was a businessman, whatever. And he did not do them, which were uh, building the wall, right? He, mm-hmm. he really tried to get building the wall into lots of different spending bills, ended up not building the wall, hmm. um, the Mexico U.S. border wall, mm-hmm. which we all know he campaigned a lot on. And then, of course, the kind of spectacular fail in the first hundred days tried to repeal and replace Obamacare, which was another campaign promise. Right. Um, that went through the House and then failed in the Senate, if everyone remembers um, the late John McCain's big thumbs down. Yes. So, um, you know, similarly, Biden's big agenda items have pretty much failed this year. So do other presidents, is, is this like a common... So yeah, so anyway, I digress. That was my recent <laughs> recent history of memory uh, being in the front seat watching it. But um, it is pretty similar. There, um, historically, first years are pretty rough. And then we see hmm. in the midterm, which is, you know, two years after president's elected, uh, the president's party does pretty poorly, typically. Hmm. Now, there um, have been some exceptions. One was... Uh, President George W. Bush with 
his oh, first year being 9-11. Yeah, and yeah. then after that, Republicans did well. It was kind of a time of national unity, right? Right, right, right. right. Um, and another notable example is that FDR and the Democrats gained seats after his first year in passing the New Deal and actually passing probably what was the biggest agenda of any modern president right. restructured the government put the government kind of in the front seat of people's lives um during hmm. the great depression so that was um uh, those two were pretty notable exceptions and i would argue around kind of two events that they're external environmental events hmm. and certainly you know the response is right george w bush at the time brought national unity in a time of crisis, uh-huh. even if people then disagree about how things went in the latter years. <laughs> um, but at the time, right? Sure. You know, obviously people viewed him very favorably that he handled it favorably in that first year. We created the TSA. That's <laughs> what we did. And then the same with FDR. Every other president, though, has had a pretty bad first year. President Reagan, we say like, oh, he's so great. has these wonderful memories, but... Um, the first year he was still dealing with the Carter kind of stagflation years. Huh. So the, the rubric of quote performing well is doing things that were promised in the campaign, um, or doing popular things, or their party doing well in the midterm. Election. Well, typically nobody does well. I mean, <laughs> the the public voting your party in. Uh-huh. In the midterm shows that you're doing well. And, ah, I see. Sure, and typically sure, 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 approval sure. ratings are very low in the first year. Huh. Um, so Biden's approval rating has taken a 15 point drop kind of as an average amongst the polls in the first year. Right. Um, and that's pretty, pretty typical, actually. Yeah. Interesting. So give Biden a break. Uh, no, <laughs> we'll get it. We're also going to talk about, right, what has happened in this first year. Um, I don't think the moral of the story is give Biden a break. I think the moral of the story is most presidents come in and don't do great their first year. Is this the point, the part where I chime in with my persistent soapbox of we expect way too much from the presidency? Probably. Um, uh, I've mentioned this before, but the, Excellent book by our friend Gene Healy, The Cult of the Presidency. Mm-hmm. Came out in, I think, 2008. Talks about just the litany of things that we expect the president to be and do. And like all these wild campaign promises. Like who have all the, everyone does it now. It's just getting like out of control. You know, who do we expect the president to be? What do we expect them to do? You know, sweeping policy changes, you know, uh, spiritual leader, what, <laughs> scout master of the nation. Right, right, right. Um, so there's a, I think there's this like way, way too much of an expectation. I mean, you know, even say the examples you mentioned, you know, repealing Obamacare or these giant infrastructure bills, it's like, that's not the president's job. Like the president actually have, does not actually have an authority. And I think it was Jonah Goldberg of recently talking in one of these podcasts that like, uh, we're treating like that was, that sort of treatment is like treating the president like a prime minister in a parliamentary system. Mm. It was like party unity, but <laughs> That's not the case at all. And I, so I'd even say that like, go a step further of just like the wild expectations of what we you know, think the president should be doing. So it's yes. like, let's adjust ourselves to the actual role of the president. Well, and even that makes me think of one other historical example. President Obama came in and he actually did fulfill a lot of his promises. He had a pretty aggressive um, first two years. 
you know, Obamacare was passed, I guess, in first three, two and a half years, True. three years. Um, and Democratic as, Congress. Democrat. Yeah, he had. De- but then out of his first year, the Tea Party rose up. Yes. And then the one of the most massive flips we've ever seen from Democrat to Republican. True. Um, in anger that he did too much of what he promised, right? <laughs> with Obamacare, <laughs> with the banking bills. Um, you just can't win. So, you know, it, it's even like if you do what you say you're going to do, um, it often it, you're not promised it's going to turn out great. Right. So we want to do a whirlwind tour of foreign domestic wins and losses with the Biden presidency. Yeah, just like, what do we think about the first year? I will say, so you said, you know, we expect too much of the president. The president's job is actually to be commander in chief. Yes, yes, yes. Of, you know, our foreign affairs. So that actually (laughs) is his job. So I suggest we start there. How's he doing? (laughs) But should the modern president be doing all that they're doing in foreign affairs? This is a whole nother podcast topic. Like isolationism. Yeah, like foreign policy. But anyway, that's Mm. a whole nother topic. Mm. (laughs) So how how's how are things going in foreign policy, Rachel? (laughs) Well, you start. You start. What do you think? (laughs) (laughs) So maybe I've said before. I think I made a conscious decision to not form opinions on foreign policy <laughs> like 10 years ago actually i think it was in art when i studied abroad in ireland they taught took us to northern ireland and it's just like holy cow this is complicated the only way to any know anything is to be born in this culture mm. and i'm not so i was just like i'm out <laughs> <laughs> like i rely on other people like you to tell me about foreign policy well, i think that's a good stance to be humble right of like yeah, the cultural context of different conflicts and all of that is incredibly important. And it's also depressing, too, because no matter what decision is made, someone's dying. It yeah, seems. right. So it's a very difficult area. So I, you know, applaud and admire people who have a handle on our intuit. So I've, I've, I've you know, backed off. I'm not total head in the sand, but uh, I'm still going with great fear and trepidation. But so what's happening in foreign policy? Right, right. It's much harder to be certain. You've so, been to the Baltics. You have I, your background. <laughs> yeah. I would say I also um, have very limited knowledge, right? Taylor and I are both domestic policy people, but um, I have strong opinions about Eastern Europe and (laughs) Russia and followed it closely, talked about before. Uh, Grandmother was a refugee from Soviet occupation Mm -hmm. of Lithuania, and um, I've traveled to the Baltic countries, more than once and have followed that history. So, um, you know, what we're facing now is during, I mean, leading into Biden's one year speech is that there are over a hundred thousand Russian troops, um, mobilized and ready on the border of Ukraine. And this is not new, right? Putin has, made these kind of incursions and annexed um, Crimea and Mm -hmm. done these invasions before. Lots and lots of theories as to why. We won't go down all those rabbit holes. Hopefully, maybe we can have a guest on to talk about it one of these days. Um, But not getting into the Putin psychology, but getting into how Biden has handled 
the Russia situation during his presidency. I think we have to go back to mid last year um, where Biden removed, uh, waived sanctions that President Trump had put on companies that were helping build the Mm -hmm. Nord Stream 2 pipeline Mm -hmm. into Germany. So what is Nord Stream 2? Why is it important? It's a natural gas pipeline. Russia is a natural gas rich country. And that is the biggest way for Putin to enlarge his country's wealth and his own wealth and his oligarch's wealth. Mm -hmm. And um, Europe does not like to dig their own natural gas. They're very, you know, the EU is all about being green. Um, Shutting down nuclear reactors as well. Yes. So they, you know, but they really want this pipeline. Some of them, not all of them. (laughs) Um, Germany particularly really wants this pipeline. Uh, Norway's the biggest natural gas supplier to the EU. Putin wants to um, take Mm. over. (laughs) Um, But different you know u.s policy has put sanctions on completing this pipeline and mid last year you know i I find it ironic that everyone was always oh trump and putin trump and putin they're buddies and blah Uh blah blah. he's soft on putin well trump put the sanctions in and biden then removed the sanctions because he wanted to make germany happy and at the time ukraine actually came out and said hey, this is one of the most dangerous things you can do to empower Russia. You know, the Ukrainians knew that this was the end game. Um, I know the Baltic countries have known that if Russia gets a natural gas foothold in Europe, then um, it's not good for all the borderland countries. Um, Lithuania actually has set up their own liquid natural gas port at a very high cost to a very small country um, to import natural gas from Canada and the U.S., and mm-hmm. others uh, through the Baltic Sea, so they don't have to rely on Russia. Um, reliance on Russia is really dangerous. So anyway, <laughs> Biden set some wheels in motion that I believe made our position with Russia very weak uh, last <laughs> year when he did remove these sanctions. Um, and so I don't think that it's coincidental that Putin has decided to make a show of force and test the Biden administration, but uh, did not do this during the Trump years. Yeah, that's that's interesting background. Uh, we had the you know, Afghanistan looms large, largest perhaps in foreign policy decisions, and just the I would call it bungling. I'm not an expert in these things, but it just did not seem like the way to do it. Uh, all for withdrawal, but. Man, that was tragic to watch. And it still is tragic. Still is tragic. There's still allies left behind. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Reading about malnourished babies and children in Afghanistan. Women facing extreme violence. Yeah. It's Uh, bad. You know, we could go on and on about, you know, smaller countries. You know, China looms large in terms of size. Mm -hmm. Our weakness on the handling of the Beijing Olympics, you know, giving them this national stage while they're committing a genocide. And I just read today that all athletes are required to have some type of app on their phone that's recording and, you know, stealing their data, no surprise. And the U.S. is not doing anything to protect uh, our cyber Uh, Well, I thought there was, was it the government or just associations urging athletes to bring burner phones? 
right, but the government is not mm-hmm. coming in. And the government did, though, decide not to send any officials. That is true. So it's a step in the right direction, but... Well, a half a step. <laughs> the toe moved in the right direction. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it it's complicated. Do we give him a letter grade? I would say, for me personally, watching uh-huh. Afghanistan, watching Russia, watching China... I would give Biden a D minus. This has been far more disappointing than I think I would have imagined. Yeah, especially coming out of like oh, like the line in Trump administration is like oh, foreign policy is just a train wreck. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, and now it's. I can't imagine it being. Yeah, I quote adults in the room. Far, it's far worse. And this is yeah, I I came in optimistic and yeah, I was not a big. Trump fan and now in hindsight I'm like oh well maybe his kind of like erratic hmm. show of strength don't know what he's gonna do next worked <laughs> better than this yeah I mean there's, there's a million opinions on this um but yeah it's a good good take domestic, domestic. <laughs> in a couple minutes <laughs> I pay attention to regulatory policy mainly in my day job and have noted just the the unusual amount of time that there's been notable vacancies, particularly in the areas I pay most attention to, tech and telecommunications. Uh, Federal Communications Commission does not have a full seat of commi- board of commissioners. They just recently approved a chairman, Jessica Rosenworcel, who's pretty good. Uh, I believe Senate committee's voting on upcoming ones. But anyway, a Federal Trade Commission is missing a commissioner. Mm-hmm. All these have to be confirmed by the Senate, of course. Uh, the It's always disappointing to me to see the ping pong of executive orders that um, you know presidents do, especially when a party transitions. It's like, you know, I would say Trump had, was pretty good on regulatory reform. So all these executive orders that Biden just canceled in the first year one that was i was reading about was fairly interesting that was uh trump administration required agencies to post all guidance documents and i think even like for a central agency to collect them in one spot and biden canceled that one so it's a pretty like i think no-brainer government transparency measure right that's somewhat surprising with um like, why would you do that? Seems nonpartisan. Very, yeah. I think there's been criticism from from both sides on that. But uh, e, and then like on antitrust measures, moving much slower than I expected. But um, you know, there wasn't. There are important appointments that have recently snapped into place. So I think over the next two to three years, we'll see some actions coming there. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I I have nothing surprising about the stances from <laughs> right, the presidency. Right, right. Or, you know being overall bad in my opinion on the regulatory front spending just holy cow oh yeah so in the last year well let's talk about the economic kind of outlook spending proposals only congress can allocate actual funds true true but as the leader of the party he's kind of put forth the vision um so the i'll say the one the the good thing which i don't know if it's attributable. A lot of economic factors, I will say either way, good or bad, are a little bit out of the president's hands, right? There are some external Holy factors. Cow, yeah. Back to, <laughs> you know, attributing too much to the president. Exactly, exactly. 
So this last year, there was wage growth. That's in the good news. Mm-hmm. Yay. Across the board, <laughs> wages are higher for workers. That's good. You know, exceeding minimum uh-huh. wage and whatnot. Um, the bad news is all that wage growth was wiped out by 40-year record inflation. <laughs> so workers, you know, any increase in wages that they saw, unfortunately, the cost of food, the cost of gas, all of that kind of ate it up. Um so that's a very and bad the presidency thing. has control over that because of federal reserve, federal reserve policy right and the massive debt which is not all his fault trump got us more in debt i mean that we've been on this trajectory of more and more debt everyone yes the only time there's been a the recent surplus was the clinton years the clinton years yeah anyway um and just would say you know so Biden's big legislative accomplishments are infrastructure spending bill and then um, ARPA, the American Rescue Plan. Is that it's basically yeah. stimulus attributed to accomplishments COVID. in that he did. He got it passed. Yeah. Legislative wins. He cheerled it. Yes. So, um, gosh, I'm forgetting. It was like one point something trillion uh, ARPA stimulus money. 1.7. And that money was oh, 1.9 trillion. <sighs> that money, they sold it as it's going to bring, um, you know, an additional 4 million jobs. So the Department of Labor was estimating last year that as part of the natural recovery from kind of the pandemic mm-hmm. shutdowns, that we would gain uh, 6.1 million jobs or uh, somewhere around 6 million jobs. Okay. And they sold ARPA, you know, we spend this $1.9 trillion, we're going to get an additional 4 million jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and ended up that we came in just about what U.S. Department of Labor <laughs> expected, actually about 100,000 jobs less. Uh, so Ain't really that did truth. that stimulus money actually help with jobs? Verdict is in no. <laughs> um, instead, it added to this massive inflation problem that we see um, and that, you know, year two, we will see does what the Federal Reserve does, does this just insurmountable debt lead to a recession? Dun, dun, dun. I mean, it's it's pretty wild, those kinds of bills. I mean, Congress is to blame for passing the legislation. But the amount of money that went in, so for instance, paying attention to like broadband subsidies is one example. You know, there sixty-five million dollars was allocated in that bill. Sixty-five billion, excuse me, billion added to you know connecting people in rural areas and urban areas to broadband. There was already eight hundred billion dollars sitting out there. Wow. For broadband, like uh, subsidies, credits, whatever, for companies to take advantage, individuals, and then they just threw another sixty-five on top, and it's like. Isn't it's a whole other full time job for you know hundreds of people to track this sort of <laughs> right. these programs to and give it out? <laughs> I bet in a year we're not even like right. remembering what the heck happened, right? And it's just it, it boggles the mind. So, uh, what grade? Oh, do we man, give? I'm gonna give him a C, probably because being intellectually honest, some of the things were outside of his control, right? Like yes. he added and did not subtract 
from the problems, right? The supply chain issues, yep. inflation, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. Um, you know, COVID. Could have. Fear about COVID. More people getting COVID could have handled that better. Could have fixed FDA delays. Yeah, lots of things he could have done to make it better and did not. So maybe I give him a D, actually. I think a lot of these things were outside of his control, yeah. um, but he did nothing yes. to make them yes. better. All right. Rough first year. Rough first year. But as you were saying, perhaps uh, part of the trend, changing one part or another, lots of harm. But anyway, it, <laughs> tough conditions out there, but still. We disagree <laughs> with his decisions, mostly. All right. So switching to stinkers or thinkers. Taylor, what was your stinker? My stinker? Uh, I think so. Season five of Search Party, <laughs> the show we've been so into. Yep. I'm, which happens to be my thinker. I, I did seasons. the same thing. Ah! I mean,. Okay, Taylor and I have been binging this. Out of control. Staying like, up too late. Staying up far too late, which is breaking my New Year's resolution. <laughs> which is fine, right? I mean, so is your, is your thinker... First four seasons. Totally. Okay, so I slightly disagree. Oh. I First three seasons were thinkers. Season four got a little too weird and out of control for me. So I'd put four and five in the stinker uh, category. Interesting. I just put season five. Mm-hmm. It kind of felt like, you know, we, we've compared, uh, what was the other show? Station 11 to Lost. Yeah. This sort of had a Lost vibe for me as well. And like, uh, maybe just like the feeling of being into it. Suspense. Right. Uh, but it, I guess the season five reminded me of just, you know, show creators not knowing when to stop. Yeah. It kind of felt like Lost was, it's like, oh my gosh, where's this going first three, four <laughs> seasons? Then it's like, okay. You could tell like just totally that the, uh, the dog had caught the bus. <laughs> right. Didn't they should have been to do with it. it. Uh, or it's like you're trying to serve spaghetti with only your hands. <laughs> it's messy. It gets all over the place. Hmm. <laughs> okay. You can't keep it all together. Yep. Too many loose ends. <laughs> And that's how this season feels. Agreed. Know. Yeah, agreed. So what other if anyone hasn't watched Search Party, it's kind of like this. I think it's like a social commentary on millennials as yeah. well as, uh-huh. and, well, the uh, bad characteristics of millennials. And it's also this like suspense, thriller, uh-huh. murder mystery um, show. But holy cow, it's been a ride. The yeah. twists. That's the thing, though. Once you get through, you have to like suffer through the bad seasons because you've committed. You see what happens. Yeah, that's what's what we're in the midst of. You have to like quirkiness, I think. Yeah, yeah. Do you think a non-millennial would enjoy it? Uh, I don't know of any who've watched it. I I don't think a non. I think it's kind of like really? inside an inside joke about our generation. Has your not, mom watched it? I don't know, mom. Have you watched it? <laughs> Tell us. I don't. I don't <laughs> think a non-millennial would enjoy it. Huh. That's my. Hot All you take. non-millennials out there, you know who you are. <laughs> Hopefully, let us know. Yeah. If it's a stinker or a thinker. <laughs> All right. Anyway, we better wrap this up. All right. Thanks for listening. <laughs>